Heavenly Father, God, I am humbled in your presence, O oh God. You are so good, and we are not. But it's out of the goodness of your character that you saved us, God. You're so merciful. You're so kind. Your love is steadfast, and it doesn't change, God. God, I can't help but be in awe, in awe, full trembling, reverence of your character. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. I pray that humility would be deepened in our hearts tonight, God. Jesus' name, amen. So the theme verse, verses for this weekend is <clears throat> Luke 4, 18 through 19. We're going to go ahead and read that again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That is what I am charged with tonight. To proclaim liberty, to testify of his goodness, of his mercy. And as I was studying about liberty to the captives, and I started to, uh, to look into the story, the account of how Jesus healed the demoniac. So let's turn there now in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 33. Thank you, Jesus. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus stepped out on the land, they met him. There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. It was kept under guard. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the, de the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. He gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank 
and into the lake and drowned. I got to tell you that as I was reading this, I started to be reminded of my own testimony. I started to remember the utter darkness that I was in. I'm, I don't know if I had demons in me um, because I believe that when I was 10 years old, I did have an encounter with God and he saved me. But over the years, as I started to, because the thing is, is that I had parents. I had parents who would take me to church faithfully. They would serve. They would be in ministry. They would be, I would see them leading Bible studies. I would see them, my mother particularly, teaching multitudes of women. Like, she was awesome. And I'm so grateful for how I that example that I had in my life, my father would be on the AV team and, and I would see them serving and for years I see them do ministry in this way and the thing is is that I got it twisted. I didn't fully understand that the ministry comes out of a heart of compassion for the people that you're serving. I didn't understand that. And so I see my parents all my life ministering to people, thinking that that was what was going to deepen my relationship with the Lord. That was what was going to get me freedom from certain things. See, also at the, at the age of six years old, I started to take steps towards sexual sin. And I didn't understand what I was doing at the time but it continued throughout my life, throughout high school. It was something that I felt like I couldn't break. But I thought that if I continue, if I got baptized, if I, if I, went, if I went to a missions trip, that it would deepen my relationship with God. And there's aspects that the Lord brings us into. It's not bad to do those things, but what's the heart behind it? And I didn't understand that the Lord was calling me to different places. I went to, I spent six months, in, in three months in Australia, two months in the Philippines, a month in Nepal. All of it, the Lord was trying to call me into a deeper place. But see, the enemy knows our weaknesses. Unfortunately, he does. That's the reality of the enemy that hates our soul that hates everyone. And so I, in my self-righteous effort, I started to try to win my own salvation through my works. But it wasn't until I was 22, 21, that I crossed the line in my sin that I never thought that I would go. And I won't get into the details of it because it's not rated PG. And I'm sure many of us have those testimonies. I know many of us have those testimonies. And so the Lord had to bring me low and I was reminded of Psalm 107 verses 10 through 16 where it says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, 
prisoners suffering in, in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. See, one of the things, see, one of the things about my darkness is that it led me to a place where I never thought I would go. I got to a place so low, the Lord had to bring me to a low place, the place where I never thought that I would go. I started to think suicidal thoughts. I isolated myself and isolated myself until, it got, until, until he allowed me to get to that place. When I was about to cross that line from a, a one level of sin to another, I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday in my in my pride, in my pride, I say, God, if you don't want me to do this, you got to stop me right now. And I tell you, I say that, and I'm, I'm thankful that he let me be brought low he was so merciful to me, though, it, though I did it to myself. I made the choices that I made. But you see, we have a God whose love does not change. We have a God who can take our mess, what we have chosen to do, rebel against his commands, and he can take us out of that utter darkness, that depression, those suicidal thoughts, those chains, those irons, those chains of irons, the, the bars of bronze. He can cut them down. He can break them open. And family, I am a living testimony of that. How many of us in this room alone have testimonies of that? Praise God. Praise God. But what are we to do with it? What are we to do with it? You see, there's a theme here this weekend. I don't know if you're catching it. But God has given to us the ability through faith in Jesus, through relationship in Jesus, to be able to take the testimony that he has given to us. All throughout Psalm 119, David says, your testimonies, your testimonies, because it's his, he's given it to us. It's not our own. It is not our own. We walk around with something that was not, that was not built by these hands. If anything, we screwed it up big time. But we have a God who is merciful. We have a God who is kind, who's steadfast in his love for his people. He does not give up on us. And so that testimony that we have, that we have the, 
the privilege to be able to walk around with every day, we have the ability to share that with somebody. It's not about you. Your life has been given to you, but it's not just for you. See, it takes humility. It takes humility. To come before the king. As he sits on his throne of grace, it takes humility that we don't have within ourselves. See, he gives us this thing. One of the things that we were... uh, in the discipleship class with Glenn, uh, one of the books that we, wet, we read was uh, Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And one of the things he talks about in that book is called Perfe- Prevenient Grace, God giving us grace. He seeks us out so that we can seek him. Isn't that crazy? What kind of God is that? Like, who does that? That's crazy to me. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but that, that's crazy to me. And that brings us, like, that should bring us joy to know that when we don't have it within ourselves, guys, I'm telling you, like, I've, I've had moments where I come through these doors and I have no desire to be here. I struggle that bad some days. Even after he's been so merciful to me, I still have those battles, But God in his gracious, the goodness of his character and his compassion for us as his people who he saved out of the darkness, he gives us more grace. More grace. He's got storehouses full. Ken mentioned that last night. He's got storehouses of what we need. Do you not realize the God that you serve? Do not forget who you serve, my brothers and sisters. You have a testimony that has been given to you, and it's not for your sake. It's not just for you. There are people out these doors. There are people who are dying. I met a young lady today at work who told me she she is family members with the man who died at Dry Ridge uh, Walmart. See, there are people, there are people who are struggling and don't want to humble themselves. How can they know what humility is if we don't walk that out ourselves? How can they see that? How can they see Jesus if not for the witnesses of his goodness and mercy? If they can't walk in the way that they ought to. I believe that we need a deeper level of humility. We need a deeper level of humility. And it's not found anywhere different than where we found it before. There is a cross that we still need to go to that we still need to humble ourselves and continue to walk the walk that he has taught us to. Many of us have learned, many of us have learned that coming to the foot of the cross, humbling ourselves on the rock is much better than having the rock fall on us and crushing us. Much better. Come on, like, (laughs) 
it's much better. And there's so much, there's so much, there's a peace that when you, when you step into that place, when you humble yourself, I got to tell you, <laughs> I really have had, it's very, it might not seem like much to you, but I've had a lot of difficulty humbling myself when it comes to this phone here. I still have a Gab phone, and I say still, but this thing, the Lord has used this thing to teach me how to humble myself under my authority. That is part of the life that we are called to live. We're not called to be isolated. We're not called to go back to the desert that the demoniac was called into. We're not called to go back into that place, to turn back, to turn away from the Lord. We're not called to live that life anymore. That's the ways of the old man. Don't you know? Don't you remember how good it felt after it is that the Lord showed you mercy when you humbled yourself before him? Remember that. Thank you, Jesus. So what's hindering you? What's hindering you from humbling yourselves? See, as I was, as I was seeking the Lord this past week over this message, I believe that there are some that the Lord really wants to deal with this body. Because, because there are people out there that need us. They don't need us. They need Jesus, but we carry him. We are ushers of his presence. But what's hindering that? Is it compassion? Do we have a lack of compassion for people? When we're not around each other, it's, see, it's easier when it is like, I know for, for us at Meadowview, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier for me. I can only speak for myself, but when I get with, with you guys, the ones that I serve with at Meadowview, I get with you guys, it's a little bit easier because it's, it doesn't feel like it's on me. It doesn't feel like that. I just, I got my teammates and I got like, I'm, we're good. Like, I, I can, like, thank you, God. Like, this is your mercy for me that I can, this is your grace for me to be able to walk in love and serve these kids and these parents well. But it's hard doing that by yourself sometimes. It's hard when you have to battle your own thoughts, when you have to battle your own sinful nature. It's hard, but there is a place, and I say this, I say this to myself, and I say it by faith, that there is a place of maturity that he wants to take us to. He wants to take us to that place where he can trust us, where he can trust us with seeing someone one to Jesus. Can he trust you? Can he trust you? Are you humble enough 
to give the glory back to Jesus? When someone comes to you and asks for your testimony and you give it, can he trust you to glorify him instead of yourself? See, part of, part of the importance of humility comes from humbling ourselves before his word. It comes from humbling ourselves before his word. It comes from, from getting that, that daily bread, that daily bread. What, however it is that it looks like for you, it comes from that place. Are you seeking him? Are you, are you longing for him? Are you learning to love his word? If not, he wants to bring you to that place. But you have to be really honest with yourself. Really honest with yourself. Are you in that place? Let the Lord expose what's in your heart. Let him do it. It's better for you that he does it. It's not good to hide, to try to hide. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? I'm so thankful that we have a God who sympathizes with our weakness. He doesn't shoot us down when we struggle and battle with humbling ourselves. There's a lot of hope in the God that we serve. We can, we can really look to him and, and immediately shoot down lies with his word. We can battle. We can learn to trust his word more and more. But will we humble ourselves and trust his word over our own? It's not anything new, guys. This is not new. But are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you humbling yourselves before the authority that a God has placed over your life? Are you humbling yourself? Praise the Lord because the rest of the story, the rest of the account with the now freed man of the deep, the freed demoniac, it says when the herdsmen, verse 34, it says when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerenices asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Then the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and declare how much God has done for you. 
And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much God had done for him, how much Jesus had done for him. Do you long to be with Jesus? Do you long to have that just closeness with Jesus? After you remember, after I, I stand here as a witness of God's goodness and mercy. And there's some, sometimes I'm, I'm reminded of how I used to get so pumped up when I played football games. And I get so pumped up, and, and this is that much more greater because this is my life he saved. Do you have that kind of joy when you think about what he's done for you? And when he tells you, when all you want to do is spend more and more time with him, are you humbling yourself and saying, okay, God, but there's somebody who's lost. There's somebody who needs more of your love, more of your compassion. Although we want more of you, although we want to be with you forever, we want to stay in the circle, stay in the bubble. There are people who are dying. There are people who are dying. And we are called, we are placed here with a purpose. And just as Jesus was anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives, he made a way for us to be that. He made a way for us right where we are placed, where he places us in the city of Dry Ridge, at the Ark, at Beans, at wherever it is that you are placed. There is an anointing that's, that, is, that God wants to give you. But there's a necessity for humility. You need to find it at that lowly place. And you will find Jesus there waiting to pour out oil on you. Waiting to give you that power. But humility is key. Saying, God, I don't have it. But you do. Please give it, God. I don't have to twist your arm. I'm just going to trust, and I'm just going to step. God, okay, you were faithful. You were faithful here. Okay, God, I, feel, I, I, I think you're, you're calling me here. You're calling me to take a step here. God, my flesh doesn't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. But God, I'm going to trust you. You see, when I... This is the last testimony that I'll give, but when I had heard about the opportunity to go overseas with Melody, I was open. I'll be honest, I, I was open. And how many times when it is that something, something like that, an opportunity for you to step out in faith is presented, but then immediately when, the, when you get closer to the opportunity and start seeing what's, what it really takes, you start to draw back a little bit. And it's like, whoa, okay, I don't, I don't know about all this. But we're called to humble ourselves. We're called to humble ourselves and to step into those places. And let me tell you what the Lord, how the Lord showed me. You guys gave way over, I believe it was about $1,300 over what I needed. 
And that was just from this body. Praise the Lord for what he's done through you, folks. But it showed me that when, it's another example of when we humble ourselves that he is faithful to give us exactly what we need. So what are you waiting for? What are you needing? What is your area that you are placed? What, what are they needing? Out of someone who loves Jesus, what are they needing? Are your eyes open? Are you at that lowly place where you are fixing your eyes on Jesus so much so that he can point and tell you, hey, look, there's your brother, there's your sister who's struggling. Hey, look, there's someone who doesn't know me, but I love them. And I know he gets under your skin. I know he annoys you. I know he gets you right in that crevice, right there. And he bothers you, but you need to love him. You need to show him the love that I showed you. And it takes humbling ourselves. But that's what we're called to, amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. You are good, God, and humbling ourselves doesn't feel good but it's good for our flesh. God, we're trusting you. God, that as you are drawing us to that deeper place, I pray, God, that whatever it is that's holding my brothers and sisters back, God, I pray that you would break it down. You are exceedingly able. I am a witness, God. I am a witness to your goodness and mercy when you have brought me down. God, that you were faithful to forgive me. You were faithful to love me. You're faithful to love us, God. And now that we've been given salvation, God, we praise you for it. I pray that you would impart to us a deeper level of humility into our character, God. You want to anoint us, God, but there are things, character issues that need to be dealt with, God. I pray that you would expose it, that it may be dealt with, O oh Lord. You are exceedingly able to do that, God. So we trust you. We believe you. Help our unbelief, God. Anybody in this room who has unbelief, just come to him anyway. Come to him anyway. He's waiting for you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Good job. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to look a little further at the idea of the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord being on us and that He is calling us to be vessels that God wants to use to see the chains of people broken, their captivity uh, destroyed that they can find freedom in Christ. So he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Um, Father, bless this time as we look at your word and um, give us ears to hear and tender hearts to receive and the grace to apply this to our lives. 
In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. You see, if we're going to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, there's something important to this. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Before you can proclaim freedom to prisoners, you have to be free. And if you're not free, you can't do it. I mean, just imagine you got two guys in prison. You got a whole bunch of people in prison. This one guy starts going up to people, you're free, you're free, you're free. And, uh, you know, they start mocking him and joking. One guy goes, I am okay. He says, well, you're, you're free. You're, I told you you're free. And he goes up to the prison guard, and the guy just laughs at him. You know, you, if you're bound up, you can't set anybody free. So if you want to be able to be used of God to set people free, you've got to be set free. And I'm talking to Christians here, you know. I'm talking to people that, that uh, should be walking in a place with Christ that Jesus can do something more through your life because that's his heart, that's his desire. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36 Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now there is only one free being, only one. And it's not angels, it's not mankind, it's God. He's the only one that's free. He does not need anybody or anything. He doesn't need food or air. He doesn't need his creation. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our love. Everything he needs is fully, completely, and absolutely within himself. He is free. So think of this. When the only free being that for a time, and, and if you try and think this through, it'll hurt your brain, the only free being that there is took upon humanity to limit himself for a time to flesh and blood, when he went to people and he says, I have the ability to make you free, guess what? He has the ability to make people free because he is free. And he knows how to do it. He knows how to break the chains in people's lives. And so there's power there to do it. Now, with these couple of verses, there's something that's very strongly implied in this. And it's the idea of being adopted as sons and daughters. So when he sets us free... You know what happens? At the same time when he sets us free from our sin, he adopts us. You know, there's this legal aspect of where we become his. We are his now. We, we belong to him. And now there's that unique relationship that he begins to look over us, care for us, consider what's going on in our life. I don't want to say more because he always has been. But because we've entered into relationship with him, now it's a different situation. He begins to treat us as sons and daughters. Now... When Jesus did his ministry for three and a half years, he gathered around himself disciples. But you know, there's something about this that we need to understand. None of those disciples were born again. Right? None of them were born again. They were all, as disciples before Christ's death and resurrection, they were still under the Old Testament. I'm not saying they weren't disciples, but they hadn't been born again. When Jesus breathed on them, guess what happened? That's where they came into the kingdom. That's where they were born again. That's where the new birth happened. That's where the church began when Jesus breathed on them after his resurrection, before his ascension. And so here you have the aspect that, that he now saves them, and then after he saves them, he goes to them and he tells them, and says, okay, I'm going to give you power because you don't have power. Now, I dwell in you. I live in you. But you don't have power. 
and I got a work for you to do. And if you don't get the power, you're not going to be able to do the work. And you know what? So many of us, so much of the church is not convinced that Jesus meant what he said, that he really didn't know, and that this whole idea of Holy Spirit power and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is optional. It has never been spoken as optional, never will be spoken as optional. The Word of God has presented that this is a need, and he says, don't go do ministry. Go to Jerusalem and tarry there till I give you the power. It was an absolute necessity, so he wouldn't allow them to do ministry, wouldn't allow them to touch people. No healings took place. You understand, during that time, there were no healings. The man at the gate, beautiful, didn't get healed. It was after all that. Because he says, you need to go get power. You need the Spirit of God in your life in a way that's going to bring you to a place that you can operate as what I did. That you can begin to operate in divine power. Now, of course, the power is his. It's not ours comes through the Spirit. He operated in his own right as God, the divine power that he has as God. Now, here's something that's so important. Church, I mean, we really got to get a grip on this. It's a necessity that we have to live free if we're going to help bring people to freedom. I mean, some of you are struggling with the same identical things you've been struggling with for so long. Why? Isn't Christ enough? Isn't he big enough? Doesn't he have enough power? What is the issue that we keep going through the same identical things? Because what happens is it makes us powerless. It brings us to a place that God cannot operate through us what he wants to do to accomplish the work he wants to do because we remain in the same identical thing, failing to understand that God has offered us everything we need for life and godliness to live in the victory. So this idea of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, this idea of the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord being upon us so that we can see the chains of prisoners broken is a call to arms. You understand what I'm saying here? It's a call to arms. It's a call to war. It's a call to stand and fight. And you can't fight if you're still in the hospital. You can't fight if you're still in the same old bondages. You can't fight if you're self-absorbed and you're living for yourself and you want a selfish little life. You can't fight because then everything is still about you. Because if you're going to go fight, you've got to begin to look at something beyond yourself, your comfort, your ease, your wants, to a world that is dying out there. Now, just think of this for a moment. Imagine you've got this scenario, and you've got this, this military that is, is rushing against you, and it's a massive army. 10,000 people, I mean, it has, has, has these attack tanks, has, you know, all the heavy, uh, the heavy uh, armor and artillery and all the stuff that's there, you know, the Humvees that have the machine guns on it, and you have, you know, all, you know behind you have the, the artillery, and at the front then you have these, these attack uh, helicopters. I mean, you look at this, a terrifying force. You look at all that, all the power, all the weaponry, and here you are, with a hundred other people, and you're standing against this whole army. And you happen to be at the end, and you just look down, and you go say, oh, my, how's this going to work? Because, you see, all they got on is this old, old armor, you know? I mean, it's old stuff. I mean, that's high-tech stuff. I mean, that's, you know, missiles and bombs and smart bullets and, you know, all the crazy technology that you, and here's this old stuff. 
you know, they got a helmet on and, and this breastplate and they got this, this sword. And then you look a little more and you see this one guy has a huge belly there and his armor doesn't fit and his belly's sticking out. And, you know, you have a couple of women out there with their babies going, why? I mean, it's supposed to be an army. We're going to deal with that right there. And, you know, I mean, you look at the, you got this teenager that he has the helmet on sideways, you know, kind of like we do with their hats and thinking that he's cool and, you know, but it doesn't fit him because he hasn't grown to it, you know? I mean, it's just, this, you look at a ragtag group of people and what are they going to do against that? Now, it should have been a thousand more there. It should have been 10,000 more. It should have been a million more lining up, but they decided to go and watch TV and to play video games and to live their own selfish life and do what they wanted to do because they didn't want to go to war. And then you did have this other group. They had the armor on, and they're over there, and their armor is, is beat up. I mean, it is beat up, but for a wrong reason. You see, they are taking blows at each other, whacking each other with the sword. Well, the Word of God says this, whack. Well, it says this, whack. And they're all dented to pieces because all they're doing is whacking each other, taking no time to deal with a perishing world. You understand? They are self-absorbed. They think they're doing something, and they're just beating each other up, but they look cool, right? I look at all these dents I got. <laughs> My armor, it's been used, and you've used it against the body of Christ. That's all. There's an army out there, and it's a terrifying situation when you look at it in the natural until we see the supernatural. And then we see the reality of a God, all it takes is one word, and that army is no more. But what does he call them to? He calls them to go out. That's what I'm calling you to do. What you have to do is beyond anything you can imagine. You've got to get deliverance from your self-absorption and your comfortable life and all the things you want to do because I got something I want you. It's not about how good a soldier you are, that you, you do it all just right, but it's about the aspect that you're willing to trust God and you're beginning to cry out, say, God, I want the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord on me. And I want to be able to see captives set free. And I want to be used in that way. And I don't have it figured out. I don't know how it's going to happen. But, Lord, I'm willing to put myself in that place. I think it's interesting when you look at the armor of God and it speaks of that sword. You know how it speaks of it? It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you know that is so interesting because God never planned for the word to be without the spirit or the spirit without the word. He purposely said it was the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, because it is to be the power of God through the word, that we believe the word, we act upon the word, we speak the word, we live the word, and there's power there, and it comes through the spirit of God if we're willing to do it. And if we go to war, we can go to war and begin to fight for the souls of men, women, and children, because it's really, really ugly out there. And so you must have faith to be anointed by the Spirit of God and used by the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter if you got the armor. It doesn't matter if you say that you've got all the faith. If you don't do anything with it, it's worthless then. Absolutely worthless. You may say you've got all this stuff. Oh, man, I believe God. What are you doing about it? Let me see the evidence of it. Is there evidence in your life that you believe him? Or is there evidence that you're doing something with your life? Is there evidence that God is using you like Paul to turn the world upside down? Or are you living a tame life because you're not willing to put yourself in the place to see God do something? Because it's too costly then. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
if I'm willing to have faith. I must. I must believe. I must believe. None of you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost when we pray for people Sunday night if you need it, if you do not believe. We could pray for you for the next 20 hours after. Still not going to receive until you believe. Until you're willing to believe the promise. Until you're willing to believe the word of God. And lay hold of it and say, this is for me. None of you will be used of God in a mighty way as long as you make excuses for your unbelief. You make excuses for your unbelief and you'll do nothing for the rest of your life. But even as Justin brought out this thing of, of great necessity, of humility, of brokenness in John chapter 5 verse 15 Jesus I am the vine you are the branches of a man remains in me and I in him he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing now he said apart from me you can do nothing not do nothing okay most of the church is doing nothing it's not the idea that they can't do anything because they don't have the power of themselves we can do what God calls us to do. So you have that ragtag team up here of 100 people that's standing against this massive military, and he says, I have given you all power in my name, and if you will believe my promises, you can stand against that enemy, and you can be victorious. How many of you are still being defeated in your life by the same sins because you're not believing, because you're not willing to believe the promises of God and let those promises become a reality in your life so it goes through the same cycle, the same vicious cycle again and again because you're not choosing to believe. Jesus, Peter, James, and John had just left the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured. They come down and he had left a bunch of disciples. When he left a bunch of disciples, he was coming back to them after this time. And a man comes, and Pastor Jeff brought this out yesterday, but a man come and knelt before him and so said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. What did Jesus say? I mean, this is sad. Because I'm, af I, I'm afraid he says this to us. I'm afraid he's speaking this to us, and we're not greatly disturbed by it. He said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Who's he talking to? His disciples. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, you are a perverse generation because you refuse to believe what I have told you is true. You remain in your unbelief, you remain in your doubt, so you are still dealing with the same things that you should have conquered a long time before. And then he said this sad thing. He says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And he rebuked the demon, and the demon came out, and the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive the demon out? He says, because you have so little faith. That's it right there. I mean, you know, we don't have to dig any deeper. Why is it we're not seeing God do the spectacular things we read in the book of Acts? Now, we can make the excuse that it's the culture, and we are living in a worse culture today than what they had back then. That's true. But that doesn't mean God's any smaller. God is just as big as he was back then. He's still infinite. The problem isn't with God. The problem isn't with the culture. The problem is with our unbelief. That's where the problem is. So what keeps us from being used by the Spirit then? 
Is that unbelief? What would unbelief be? I really want to say this to scare us. I do. I want to scare each of us with what unbelief is. You know what unbelief is? Believing lies. Believing lies. Have you ever thought of that, that unbelief is believing lies? God says this, I say, no, it's that. What he said is true. What I'm believing, instead of believing him, I'm still believing. You understand? I am still believing, I'm believing lies. It's just I choose not to believe what he said because, well, for whatever reason, that makes me uncomfortable, it's not convenient, whatever, it's too costly. We choose to believe those lies instead of believing the truth. We, aren't, we are believing. You understand? We are believing. It's just what are we believing? And the lies that we are believing is that God won't do what he said he will do. Right? Isn't that the nitty-gritty of it? He says, I'll do these signs, I'll do these wonders, I'll do these things before you. And we question it because we're believing lies that somehow he won't do it. And of course, part of that is lies about ourselves. Because it's not just lies we believe about God, it's lies we believe about ourselves. And it's the lies of pride, which is, you know, we're too proud to step out and do something because we're afraid of what people are going to think, which is fear of man. Or it can be self-depreciation. This, this distorted idea that can be so popular today of brokenness. This distorted idea where I'm just good for nothing. I'm just worthless. Oh, what am I? So what we have is this unbelief that refuses to put ourselves in the faith, place of faith to believe that God will do something through us. But God's calling us to believe. God's calling us to believe the promises, to apply the promises. And he's waiting for us. Now, you must want to get free to get free, okay? That sounds ridiculously simple, but it's more of a reality than what we understand. I mean, it, just think of self-pity. Self-pity is a miserable, miserable thing, right? Any of you that struggle with self-pity, you know how miserable it is. The self-absorption, that's what self-pity is, self-absorption. You look at yourself and you have the ability to get out of self-absorption if we believe what God says in his word. But we stay in, in this self-absorbed state of self-pity because, well, we like it better than being free. If we wanted to be free, wouldn't we be free then? Wouldn't we fight tooth and nails to overcome that? I'm not going to say there isn't the spiritual dimensions and the attack of hell and everything else. But I think it's better for us to be fighting rather than just rolling over and giving up. And that's what we do so often. It doesn't mean that even when we get victory that we're not going to have battles, because we will. But it's the idea that there's a God that's going to give us victory if we're willing to fight. As long as we are in the fight, we are pleasing. We are not pleasing when we refuse to fight, when we just give up. We refuse to care about what's going on in a, in, in a perishing world. Now, Justin brought up the deliverance of the demoniac in Luke chapter 8. It's interesting, the account that's found in Mark, Mark chapter 5. I'll just read a couple verses from there. And uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, When the demoniac saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Now, what we need to see here 
is that we find in these two verses both the response of the man and the response of the demons. Okay, they're both there. One thing we have to understand about this, God sets a man free from demon possession because he wanted to be free from demon possession. So demon possession doesn't mean that he didn't have the ability to want freedom. Now, I'm telling you, he had some serious obstacles and some devils inside of him that were trying to keep. He was the one running to Jesus. I guarantee you the devils were wanting to run the opposite direction. So it was a man fighting against the very thing that was inside of him to drive him into the, uh, the wilderness again, back into the tombs, to be in a life of misery. He was fighting against that to run to the only hope, which is run to the feet of Jesus. And when that man ran to the feet of Jesus, the devils knew it was over. They knew it was over. So he says, if you come to torment us, they knew it was over. So the man set free. The people are terrified, like Justin brought out. They went to him and went to Jesus. Leave here, man. We're scared of you. You're a scary person. He was. Jesus was a scary person, you know. And so he left. But there's something here that's so interesting. In Luke chapter 8, and Justin read this, but let me read this in verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, it's just so real and so important of what's going on in this man. You see, he was set free and if he wouldn't have surrendered himself to Jesus, he would have been demon-possessed demon again, but seven times worse, okay? So this man was put in the spot, okay? You're free. Either you, you bow to my rule or you're going to be worse off. But Jesus set the man free, not so he'd get worse off, because he wanted to set him free because he knew the man would walk with him. And so the man begged Jesus, let me go with you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Begging. Why did he want to go with Jesus? Just to hang out with him? He wanted to become part of the disciples. He wanted to begin to serve right hand with Jesus, right there with him. He wanted to do something. What would happen if we began to beg, God, do something with me? What would happen if we got up in the morning and we says, God, do something with me? What do you want in my life? How can I serve you? We are so self-absorbed. We live so much for ourselves and our comfort and our ease that we're not going to him and say, God, what can I do for you? We're, we're considering, you know, okay, God, I'll add a little bit of you here. I go to church and I'll do something else here. But don't revolutionize my life where my life is now consumed with you. Because I still have plans, I still have agendas, I still want to do my own thing. I still want to accomplish what I want to accomplish in my life. And right now, total abandonment to you doesn't fit. But you know, here's the wisdom of Jesus. The man wanted to serve Jesus and he was going to serve Jesus. You see, the man that wants to serve Jesus will serve Jesus. And no devil will stop him. And the man or woman that doesn't, anything and everything will. And so this man wanted to. So what did he do? He went away and he started telling everybody what great things had happened. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus send that man back? Because the man was from Decapolis. Decapolis is, means ten. It was ten cities. 
you know, 10 cities that were in close proximity. That's where he's from. He went through the Decapolis proclaiming who Jesus was. A little bit later, when Jesus comes back, the revival breaks out because the demoniac went and told everybody about Jesus. The wisdom of God, but it took a man to put himself in the place that God could do something through him. Do you realize that demoniac accomplished more than the majority of Christians do in their entire life? The demonic, the former demoniac, did more in this little bit of time than, than the majority of people do. Because he was willing to give it all up. He understood what he was being delivered from. He understood the joy, the privilege of it. And now it was like, I just want to follow you. I want to do whatever you want. What do you want in my life? I'll give myself. It doesn't matter. I'll give myself anywhere. Am I called to war? Well, I'll go. I'll be 101 now with those people. And it may look like we're all going to die. But I understand there was a God that can cast all those nasty devils out of me. And I know he can do a lot more than that. This is part of the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That we become a people that are really wanting to get nearer to Jesus than we've ever been before because we are finding him sweeter, more beautiful, and because we're falling in love with him in a deeper way, we are wanting to do anything. Anything, Jesus. What can I do for you? Anything. Are any of us at that point? I want to close with a final thought here. Luke 4.18, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim freedom for the captives. And so, you know what we normally think with that? We think that, well, the captive is somebody that is in prison. And so we need to go to prison. And it's good. I mean, it's right to go to prison. Prisons are a great place to minister. But that's not what the word means. Some translations will say prisoner, but that's uh, it's not what the word means either. You know what the Greek word means? It is specifically of a prisoner of war. Okay? I want you to understand what I'm going to be saying here. It's of a prisoner of war. How does somebody become a prisoner of war? They were on one side, and they were defeated or whatever. They got captured. And now they're a prisoner of war. You know what he's really talking about here? Backsliding. How backsliders who once walked with Jesus knew what it was to walk near to him. And they, they, they start turning their back on Christ. And as they turn their back on Christ, they get themselves enslaved worse than they were even before. Serious. It, this is really serious. Because he has another place in this, in, in this prophecy here about those who are oppressed. Something very similar, but it's different. And so one is really dealing with those who are oppressed or those who are, are bound up. And that word there in, in the, the Hebrew Greek means to have a yoke on. It's more of what we commonly think. But this particular one we're looking at is really about the aspect of being a prisoner of war. It's backsliders. And so... There's two phrases that are given here, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And so the Hebrew word means to be a captive, or excuse me, the release of darkness means to be uh, uh, yoked in slavery. But when we look at the idea of this, this backsliding, I just want to share very briefly a summary of the parable of the prodigal son. 
And then I'm going to close. The prodigal son, he went to his father and he said something to his father that was actually horribly mean. I mean, it was mean. Because the prodigal son was prodigal before he ever left the home. So you normally get your inheritance when you die. But his dad wasn't dead. He wished his dad was dead. So instead of saying, Dad, I wish you're dead, I want my inheritance now, which was to say, I wish you were dead. Mean boy. Heartless boy. Here was his father that's cared for him, and, you know, wealth has produced the wealth, would split it up between him and the elder brother, and, you know, there'd be the double portion for the elder brother, but, you know, it's, it had it all planned. And the boy says, I want it now because I don't like living under your rule. I want to do life my way. It's really what it came down to be. I don't want you to rule over me. I want to rule myself. I want my life. Give me my inheritance. And so the boy took the inheritance. And what happened in that is just what was already in him started to be made manifest. All right? That's all it was. He was backslidden. Now the manifestation of his backslidden life was there. And so he goes through the misery of it. We know the story. But do we really understand why the prodigal backslide? You understand there's only one reason why anybody backslides. Because they forsake their first love. We might go and say, well, it's drugs or it's sex or it's this or that. No, those are, are the byproducts of the real issue that they forsake their first love. That's how dangerous it is to let our hearts wander. Because if we wander, it can take us places we never thought, never imagined, and take us right away from the kingdom of God back into the world because we forsake, forsook our first love. And so the boy goes through all the misery of his sin for a time. He thinks it's fun, right? Isn't that what we did in our sin? You know, well, I was a hippie in the drug culture, and so, hey, you just think that's the way to live until you're all bound up in drugs, and you find it's not fun anymore. You know, it's, just, it's what sin does. It always brings that bondage. It always brings that slavery to us. And so you have the situation of the boy finally begin to suffer for his sin because it's always going to happen. It's going to happen to everybody, whether they're a billionaire or whether they're, you know, a skid row bum or whatever. Everybody's going to face the reality of the emptiness of their life without Christ. The reality is going to come to them, and either they are going to turn to Jesus or they're going to go deeper into their depravity, which will only make it worse and worse and get more and more horrible and more painful on the inside of their life. The, bo the boy finally came to his senses and came back home. We know the story. Father was waiting there, wrapped his arms around him, you know, put the robe on him and the ring on him and the shoes on his feet. But there was another prodigal in the home. You understand? There's two prodigals in the story. Both of them were estranged from their father. But the one was a religious kind of man. He stayed in the father's house. He did what the father told him. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. So he did it legalistically because that's what he had to do. But he was still estranged from his father. He was still outside of that place of relationship with the father. You see that when the son begins to grow angry at the father because the younger son returns. Both were captives. Both were captives. Both were enslaved. The one came to the place to understand the other didn't. You know who the elder son represents? The scribes and Pharisees. They could not see what they were. They couldn't see because of their dead religion. They were bound up. They were in bondage and blind to it. And what a terrible thing to be in that spot and never be able to see what Jesus is wanting to do.
So where are you at? You see, God is calling you to war. He's calling you to war. He's calling you to do something with your life, and it's not about trying to make a career. I'm not against careers. You've got to know where God wants you. He wants people in every part of this you know, workforce type of thing to reach people. But it's something more than just to make money, just to make a living. There's a dying world out there that he is wanting you to reach, and it's not about just getting a good life and trying to build up whatever it is that you want to build up. And so are you willing to come to the place, say, God, I have been on the sidelines. I've not been numbered with that 100. I thought they were kind of nuts, you know, goofy people. You know, they're just, aren't they a little fanatical? And they're the only ones that are really being pleasing to Jesus. The rest of them are doing their own thing. The other ones are just beating each other up. It's just these ones that finally come and say, God, I want to serve you no matter what the cost is. I want to give myself so that captives can be set free. I want to be used so that people that are so bound up, so filled with pain and sorrow and misery, that they come to the place say, is there really one who cares? Is there one really who cares about my pain? I mean, you tell me there's somebody who knows how many tears I cry in my pillow at night? Do you tell me that, that all the abuse I had growing up, that he saw it all and he cared? I've been so angry at him for so long. I thought, why weren't you, why didn't you help me? And there he is all the time wanting to bring deliverance to those who would run home. So I'm going to open this altar up in just a moment for anybody, no matter where you are in your life, Christian, backslider, the prodigal son that lived a crazy life, the prodigal son that stayed in the father's house. And you have lived for you. It's been all about you. It's been your life, your will, your wants. And you're not in right fellowship with him. I'm going to open this altar up for you. That you can come to this altar and run to Jesus. Just like the demoniac. If the demoniac could do it, then why can't you? Right? I mean, that's pretty simple there. You have this demoniac that's fully demon-possessed, and he's willing to run to Jesus, doesn't care what anybody thinks, doesn't care about anything. One thing was there, one thing only. I need to be at the feet of Jesus. That's what I need. That's my only hope of deliverance. That's my only hope, period. He was willing to run there, to run to him. And so if you need to be at this altar because God has confronted you of a backsliding heart, or maybe you are fully backsliding, Backslidden people don't know it. Or maybe you have never really come to Christ. Whatever the condition is, that if you need to come to Jesus, if you need to get right, when I open this altar up, I want you to come to this altar. I'm going to open this altar up afterwards for those who are Christians because I'm going to call you to battle. I'm going to call you just like a draft, saying, church, it's time to rise up. It's time to get over yourself. It's time to get over your little problems and all your little issues. It's time to walk in victory and to find that there's a God that wants to begin to use you because there's a hurting, dying world out there that needs you. So would everybody please stand? If you aren't right with Jesus, backslid, Pharisee, 
you need to get right. All that matters is that you get right. That's all that matters. Your pride is worthless. Your fear of what people think is absolutely, utterly, completely worthless. All that matters is that you know that there's someone waiting up here for you. And he's waiting to wrap his arms around you as you run into those arms. He's longing for you. Longing for you to come home. Longing for you to know his love. If, you're, if there's anybody here, you're backslid, this is for you. I mean, the Father's waiting for you to run home. Waiting for you. His arms are outstretched, waiting for the time. He'll not force you, but he's waiting for you. And so if you need to be at this altar because you're not right with Jesus and you need to get right, I want you right now to come to this altar. I want you to step out right now and get right. It's going to take a moment here. your spiritual life at? Be honest. Are you right with him? Are you walking with him? Is it real or is it just something you've done? Maybe it was real a little bit ago, but you're so far from him now. And you see the motions of sin in your life. You see it. You know it. It's there. Are you tired enough of it yet that you'll run home to Jesus? to come. It's time to come. I want to be careful in what I do now. I mean, I can go say, all of you come up here and you're going to call to war type of thing. And, you know, you come up and you really don't mean it. You know, I don't want that. I'd rather have one person come up here that says, God, it's time for me, it's time, and you mean it and you do something, rather than all of you to come up and nobody really mean it. And so this isn't about looking at somebody else or feeling that you're going to have pressure from somebody because I didn't go up or whatever. It's irrelevant what anybody thinks. If somebody thinks wrong, then that's their problem. They need to repent of it. All you need to do is give an honest response if you're not willing, if you're not ready, you can respond up here as well and let me know or somebody else know to pray for you about that. I'd rather deal with the honesty of somebody saying, I'm not willing to go that far yet. You can do something with that than people who say they want to go that far and never do anything. And so as if you're a believer and you understood what I was saying when I was talking about this war, that we're called to war and it's time to get out of ourselves and to begin to realize there's something greater. He has a greater calling for us. He wants us to believe beyond what we have to this point, to believe God for greater things and it's never going to happen unless we're willing to step out and say, God, help me to make that step. Help me to believe you better. Help me to begin to open my voice because there are people out there that are rushing to hell and God, I need to be the one who stands in the gap that you might turn them from hell. If you want to be part of that, if you want 
to respond to this, and I am opening this altar for you to find a place up here. And it's open, and I'm just going to go through, and others can come up here that, that are allowed to pray for others and to pray for those who come up here. And I'll tell you how I'm going to pray. And this is what I want anybody else to pray. If you're going to be praying for somebody, I want you to pray for radicals. I want you to pray for people that want a fire of God burning in their bones. I want you to pray not safe prayers, not tame prayers, but some pr prayers that are going to set people's hearts on fire and they're going to begin to say amen to it that you might do a radical work in and through them. come and pray for you in a couple minutes just I want you to be honest with God at this altar now I just want you to talk to him about this message and what he's spoken to you about it come Holy Spirit come sweet Spirit come sweet Spirit come oh God move 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 oh God breathe upon these bones breathe on these bones oh God make a living army Jesus make a living army of us God make a living army oh God Jesus, 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 Jesus. Multitudes are perishing. Multitudes are rushing to hell, oh God. Lord, we so seldom shed tears for them. God, teach us how to weep for a perishing world and not just to weep for them. Not just to pray for them. God, that is so vitally important. It is foundational to it all, to be people in prayer that are crying out for the lost. But God, help us to also be the answer, part of the answer in our going, dear God. Jesus, Jesus, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is to be upon us, to anoint us for all that is said in those two verses. Lord, that thick, that captives might be set free, that people that are bound would be set free, that blind would have their sight restored. God, that you would do the supernatural through your people. We are meant to be a people that, yes, we are flesh, but Lord, we have a spirit inside of us, and we are to be spiritual beings operating through the supernatural power of God. Lord, I just ask for awakening in our lives, awakening in your church, awakening, oh God. Lord, that we would so fall in love with you, we couldn't be silent. We wouldn't want to be silent, oh God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come, sweet Jesus. Come, sweet spirit. Move, oh God. Move, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.